Hey, what's going on, everybody? You're listening to The Sane Show, the show about nothing and everything. I'm your host, Cliff. And today, I got a really special guest, a good friend of mine. I got actor, comedian, writer, producer, creator of the mixtape comedy show at Gotham Comedy Club in New York, executive producer of All The Way Black, Royale Watkins. How you doing, Royale? Yeah, do uh, we get some sound effects or with people clapping all of that, like when you do the intro clip, or do I have to do that myself? You got to do that, bro. <laughs> you got to do that. Okay, okay cool. I'm um, glad to be on the show, bro. What's good? How are you? I am good, man. I'm good. I'm glad to have you on. I know I, we've uh, been trying to get this set up for a few months now. I'm finally glad to have you on. You've been really impactful in my in my journey in the entertainment business. So to finally have you on, I'm super excited. Really am. So thank you. I'm excited to be here, bro. So really quick, before I introduce the topics, I want to take and do the shout outs and recognize all the listeners, everybody across all 60 plus countries. And if you're listening and you don't follow us already, be sure to check us out on Instagram and Twitter at the same underscore show, S-A-N-E underscore show. And then you can find us on Facebook, The Sane Show. Again, on Facebook, that's The Sane Show. Today, Royale, I want to chat with you about a few things. One, I want to talk to you about sitcoms today. And then following that, I want to talk to you about the comedy community, something I know you're really deep involved in. And then I'm going to ask you a few questions so that the listeners can learn a little bit more about you, the things you got going on, and all that fun stuff. So let's go ahead and hop right into it as far as sitcoms today. Obviously, you know, you work in entertainment, you've worked on a few shows, and I was thinking about this as I was putting this all together. And I just think it's interesting, like looking at sitcoms and the the role that they play right now, uh, especially, you know, I'm thinking about how entertainment oftentimes reflects reality and with nothing you know, reflects reality like sitcoms. And at the same time, sitcoms taken are very, I I like to think of them as as progressive, at least now, as far as touching on social issues and touching on controversial issues as well and getting people, the viewers, thinking about all the things that's going on within American society and things like that. So from your experience and from all the things that you've done in the industry, what are some of your thoughts when you think about the importance of sitcoms in society today? Well, I think that sitcoms are a really valuable tool, but I think that we also have to have a very clear understanding of the purpose of sitcoms, the purpose of television, and a lot of people don't understand that sitcoms and TV shows were created as a device for selling advertisement. So their first and most important job is to deliver an audience of people for the purpose of companies, a focused group of eyeballs to put their products in front of. Right? So a lot of people don't really understand that aspect of it. So mm-hmm. when, you, when you look at it from that aspect, you have a better understanding about the value of sitcoms when you get past that point. So when you get past that point and you go, all right, well, we're going to create a show about a family living in the ghetto of housing projects, and we're going to design the show in such a way that Black people who are going through a certain experience 
show up every week on whatever time the show is slotted, say Thursday at 8 p.m., 8 million black families show up because they know that the struggle of James and Florida Evans as a family is something that they can attach themselves to emotionally to give themselves just that piece of hope that, that allows them to hang in there until the next paycheck. And so if we develop storylines that has JJ winning a competition, then you go, oh man, my brother was in an art competition. And he won too, right? Or you have Walona show up and gift the family some money to help them didn't make it, right? It gives people that piece of hope. It gives them that this family looks like me. My family acts like that. I, my family lives in Chicago. So again, it's just a really powerful tool that can be used in a way that is, I think, can be infinitely more valuable than people realize. It's not just a bunch of characters and a bunch of jokes, but it's, it's the stringing together of storylines and, and lives that tie us emotionally, gives us hope, gives us laughter, heals us, has us aspire to be something greater than Right. Yeah. When you look at the dynamic of the Cosby's and mm -hmm. the fact that Claire was an attorney and Heathcliff was a doctor and they were working hard and, and had a healthy family dynamic and wanted the best for their children. I made a whole bunch of kids and families go, look, that's what I aspire to. So right. I'm looking to be in a healthy two parent household and to find a wife that loves me, that I can love back, that we can raise a family, in a healthy environment. Right. I agree with everything you said, but you really, I gotta say, you really surprised me when you said as far as sitcoms are, and forgive me if, if, I, if I get it twisted, but it's almost like advertising opportunities because when, as you were talking and you were, you were explaining that and given that historical context, I'm thinking about now brands as far as obviously certain advertisers running certain ads at certain times and even in shows you have product placement and all that other stuff that goes into you know that that's going on in that spot and so when you said all of that you got my brain going but as far as like the sitcoms especially when you talk about the Cosby's and the example the, the model that they were or served as for the black community primarily yeah definitely I agree with you on that. And I think that's what makes sitcoms unique. And honestly, I think looking into sitcoms and as obviously I watch them, I feel like sitcoms play more of a, of a role than I think we like to give them credit. What, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I mean, again, they're just invaluable to the landscape of storytelling in the, in the 21st century. Because again, you have this really incredible, I don't think people really pay attention we we make so many right we're just so used to that are in our life that we take for granted the ability to beam a signal into the millions of how like just take the the super bowl for instance right, right. it's not a sitcom but it is a program it's all programming and you think about what program really means is to program is to put information into somebody for the purpose of getting something to act a certain way when you write a computer program, you're coding a computer, right, to act a certain way upon command, mm. right? So I'm literally putting information, images and sounds into your psyche to get you to react or respond a certain way. 
Wow, that's deep. This is the part that people don't pay attention to. So if I have you feeling a certain way emotionally, and now I put brands in front of you during these commercial breaks, psychologically, and you're more likely to remember these brands and associate these brands with the experience that you had watching the program. These TV shows, it used to be that an advertiser bought out the whole show. It's like a, a program was bought to you by Tide. It was bought to you by Clorox. And then they figured out, wait, we can divvy this thing up and get way more money if we just run the commercials and we don't have a, a whole sponsor. <laughs> wow. Uh, so, all right, you know what you got me thinking about now? Because now I'm thinking about the social construct, right? As far as when we talk about social norms. You hear it all the time now. Yeah, I'm going to put it out there when we talk about same-sex couples and there sure. being more of a presence in television shows, even cartoons. On that side of it, do you think it's, uh, obviously, because we, we're talking about programming, do you think that also has an effect as well? Do I think it has an effect in anything that you see, right? has to yeah. be, by design, somebody had to, somebody's brain had to say, this is what I want to convey to the consumer mm -hmm. and to, to the television viewer, right? So you're two things at, at the same time. You're a viewer, but you're also a consumer. To the network television writer, you're a viewer. So I'm sitting down as a television writer. I've written on, I think, four, three or four sitcoms, All of Us, Till Death, Are We There Yet, my own show, uh, Built to Last. When I sit down and write a script, I have to think, ask myself, what's the experience? What's the story I'm telling? And using the parameters of and the guidelines that this thing is shaped around, meaning the, the characters that we've been given. So if it's, if it's Good Times, it's Florida, Evan, James, Michael, JJ. If it's The Facts of Life, it's Tootie and, and other Miss Garrett and those characters. If it's Boondocks, it's Huey and Riley and the grandfather, right? Hey. Those are the parameters that the guidelines under which you have to start shaping a story to tell. So then I go, all right, well, what's the story that I want to tell? Oh, well, I want to tell a story about social injustice in 2020. And so then I'll go, all right, let me go to good times. All right. I want to write a story about the impact of gentrification in Cabrini Greens and how voting can shift the neighborhood in terms of having an elected official that's going to help my votes matter or having an elected official that's dirty and gerrymandering and is going to rig the election so that white people who come into this neighborhood have to stand in line to vote for nine hours and get tired and tap out and ultimately don't vote somebody in that's going to turn this neighborhood into a more white neighborhood than more black neighborhood. As a writer, your brain has to start going, all right, well, what are my own personal experiences? What are some fantasy experiences that, that help shape a story that I want to tell using the players that I've been given and the playground, right? The players and the playground. The players of this family. The playground is the city, state, neighborhood they live in, the house that they live in. All right, we're back. I want to talk to you about the comedy community. And honestly, 
again, you being a comedian, doing all the things that you do and knowing all of the people that you know, that's one of the things that honestly really makes me look at you and say like, man, like that's, that's dope. Cause just knowing that the insight that you have and like most people, I'm a fan of comedy. I, I follow comedians like, you know, Kevin Hart, Jerry Seinfeld, Chappelle, and many others. And as I become more of a fan, especially getting older and, and learning more about these people and obviously like coming in contact with people like yourself. One of the things that fascinates me is how con- how comedians, at least on the outside looking in, appear to be a tight knit group and like working together. And, and then comedians as a whole or that entire community, it, it seems to have taken on a larger role as well. And when I say that, Comedians aren't just, don't just make sketches. They don't just do stand-up, television shows. They're doing movies. They're doing talk shows. Like, they do a whole lot. And the power of being a comedian is is really something these days. And obviously, you guys write as well and cre- creating all kinds of stuff. So, again, I just think, like, when I think about the, the comedy community, uh, and I know I said a lot there, I, I just think it's really cool uh, just, just looking at all of that. So, you being a member of that community, if you could, like, offer me and the listeners some insight into some of, some of those things. Well, the insight that I have is that you have to remember, yes, the title is comedians, but at the end of the day, they're salesmen, they're pitchmen. And so, what you see mostly people responding to is the fact that these guys have enough experience and enough personality to be able to sell. If you're a comedian and you're traveling around the country and around the world, like, you know, out of 52 weeks out of the year, if you're on the road for anywhere from 30 to 40 weeks out of the year, right? That's a lot of miles long, moving around, talking to people, getting on stage, like managing your your energy to be even get to the stage and then while on stage, elevating your energy to, to deliver a performance, a performance, a, a show that engages up to thousands of people at a time to have them come on board for an experience that usually generates laughter and emotional response to words, images, thoughts, and ideas. And then they have to move on, go home, be a husband, wife, or son, whoever, daughter, uncle, cousin, make it through the week and then get to the next week and to start that all over again. That is a traveling salesman. What we see as a comedian, it's also a traveling salesman. He is selling the idea of an experience to groups of people at a time. Some people, traveling salesmen, used to sell hairbrushes. They used to sell tires. They used to sell milk and all these other things door to door. Your comedian 2020, the 21st century comedian is a salesperson. So when you talk about expanding from the stage into film, television, social media, ultimately what networks and studios and brands have realized is that, oh, this person has enough personality that I can attach my brand to him and people will respond to that. So now we're we're going from a television program being the tool that gets people engaged and tries to marry that engagement and emotional reaction to a product to now singling it down from a program to a specific person. Kevin Hart is a great example of that. Will Smith is probably an even better example. 
The Rock is an amazing example. These people have such huge personalities that brands want to attach themselves to that one specific personality because they bring an army of people who trust them. They bring an army of followers who have a specific experience based on their relationship. And now through social media, we don't have to wait six months for a new movie. We don't have to wait next week for an episode of a TV show. These guys are going live on a social media platform on a daily basis to communicate to a targeted audience of people and creating trust relationships so that brands go, oh, that's his audience. They listen to him. So when Kevin Hart says, oh, I'm going to be at the Paramount Theater tomorrow night, 5,000 tickets, all right, people trust Kevin Hart and what he has to deliver, so they go snatch up the tickets. So if Kevin Hart also says, oh, by the way, I love Coca-Cola soda, Coca-Cola soda helps me, right, do what I do to travel the world, be an amazing comic and an awesome husband, guess what? People are going to go, well, shit, I want to be an amazing husband, travel the world, and be great too, so let me drink Coca-Cola. Trust yeah. relationships, branding, personalities, pitch man, ultimately sells me. That that's that's very true. And now that I when you said salesman, because I know a lot about that, and I'm I'm thinking about I look at comics as the same way I look at uh, DJs, right? Because we a DJ who's also an artist, a performing artist, has a lot in their repertoire that a regular singer or a rapper may not have. And so when you take a comic comparing to just a your a regular actor, when you say salesman, that puts them in a completely different category because the the path for a comedian is at least again from the outside looking in, it appears to be one where it's like you have to be able to do more than everybody else that's in this entertainment thing. Like you have to be able to get your own gigs. You have to be able to organize yourself and do all that other stuff that most people have agents and managers and not saying that you know comics don't have managers but obviously you know early on like they 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 have to really you know develop that hustle and grind it out for themselves but i guess am, am i am I on the right track with that well i mean everybody anybody that has a specific talent that they can bring to an audience for the purpose of monetization you'll have somebody that representation-wise agent or manager who wants to get involved in that transaction and apply a fee to it. So early on, climb up this ladder and start making real money. Yeah, people will come out of the woodwork to represent you. You know, Kevin has a manager, Dave, I mean, yeah, Dave has a manager, agents, attorneys, everybody has a service that they can present to you for the sake of extracting a fee to make life for you more convenient. Who, who at a certain level wants to have to <clears throat> go out there and drum up business on their own? Who wants to have to sit in that call a thousand colleges to try to get 30 colleges to book you for a year? That's a lot of work. That's a lot of conversations. And they have agencies that do that way more efficiently than you can do it yourself as a piece of talent. Because as a piece of talent, you could be better spending your time in the gym, working on your physical fitness, in the office, sitting, writing new material, in the clubs, working out that new material. Only gonna cost me five or 10% of any transaction in order to put that on somebody else's desk to free me up to focus on something that's way more valuable, then shit, I'll cut that, that check for five or 10% all day long.
All right. Oh, man. I swear these shows go by faster and faster the, the more I do them. Now for my my personal favorite part, the interview, get to learn more about my guests and the things that they have going on. And always getting the listeners getting to get that additional insight from people like yourself, especially people like you, uh, Royal, that, that do a lot of cool things and work with a lot of phenomenal people uh, in the industry. My first question to you, tell us about the, the new show that you executive produced, All The Way Black, that's on BET+. Plus. It is it's interesting because it's at the core, it's a clip show. And so if anybody's watched shows like I Love the 80s and these shows that I think VH1 and MTV have made famous where you have talking head talent, mostly comedians and experts in any given field, and they are responding to or reacting to or adding commentary to clips, whether they be photos or movie clips or TV clips, right? That's the basis for these clip shows. Now, what I had the opportunity to do is take that concept and elevate it so that, um, you know, I tried to marry almost like the sitcom and the clip show experience into one. So we did 12 episodes and I had the great pleasure of being the executive producer and showrunner, which means I was fully responsible for building the show from scratch and helping BET Plus realize their vision for this show. But again, it was mostly my work. And I'm, a pr- I'm proud of the 12 episodes that we delivered. It's, it's streaming now on BET Plus, the first six episodes. The additional six episodes will drop in October sometime. Chris Spencer is the host. I think we hired somewhere upwards of about 30 or 40 comedians that's talking heads. So Donnell Rollins, Ronnie Jordan, uh, Dominique, Daphne, AJ Sanders, uh, Lisa Ray. Victoria Rao, there's a, a bunch of, bunch of, bunch of uh, talent that's, that's in the show that I think people get really excited about. And we're telling stories, we're telling our story. So it's that, that stuff about cleaning up the house on Saturday morning and going outside to play and jumping double dutch and playing football in the street. These kind of looking at the 70s, 80s, 90s, and early 2000s through the lens of Black culture is ultimately what the basis of the show is, you know, with a fun spin on it. That sounds dope. That sounds really dope. I had, this. someone actually brought this up to me, someone who's an aspiring writer. And so I wanted to ask this question, especially you being a writer, as far as what networks look for when they are looking at new projects, not really like, I'm not asking you to get into the specifics as to what BET was looking for, but just in general, what in these times, what are networks looking for when they look at you know, scripts for new projects? Well, that's a hard question to answer because it changes all the time and it, it also varies from network to network. I think all networks want something that's to rinse and repeat for the most part. And by rinse and repeat, can you take a crew of people and make this multiple episodes of this show? Typically a hundred episodes is what they're shooting for because when you have a hundred episodes of a show, you can sell it into syndication and that's where your second and third windows of value get extracted. So you'll take a, a show like Martin, which I think premiered on Fox, right? It was developed for Fox. After it ran on Fox, 
right now it's on BET Plus. Because they shot a hundred and some episodes when Fox was done with it, then they were able to go, all right, we got all of these episodes. We can sell it to you because there's an audience that will watch it on your channel as well. So a lot of these networks really want something that they know will drive a, a specific community of people to sit down and watch it. Right? If you think about shows like The Wire or Deaf Comedy Jam or The Sopranos, right? They attract a specific group of people and those, those groups of people become attractive to advertisers. It goes back to that. What are they looking for? They'll put out, sometimes they'll say, hey, this is what we're looking for. Or sometimes they may not know what they're looking for and you may come pitch them a fresh idea that they get excited about. I always say you go pitch the thing that you know you can deliver. Thanks for that insight. You know, I kind of brought this up before already as far as your relationship with people in the comedy community. You forged a lot of relationships, something that I, I know I talk about a lot on this show as well with various guests, because I mean, that's really uh, critical, not just in this industry, but no matter what you do. So you forged a lot of relationships with respected people within the comedy community. How did that come to be? I think that when you've been in this business as long as I have been in this business, you, you know, you, especially if you develop a family, you start a family, you want to make sure that you can provide. You have to be open to, open to, to new avenues of approach and opportunities to learn and grow so that you can, one, stay relevant, but two, generate income. Because in generating income, it allows you to stay a part of this business. Right. If I if I'm not finding a way to generate income and I can't pay my mortgage, then I have to pivot away from this business and go like work at FedEx or or take a job working at Walmart. And I'm happy to do those things, you know, to, to keep the lights on and make sure my children eat. But I would much prefer to be able to go out to the comedy clubs at night and be available to go audition during the day or take a meeting writing for a show. And. The only way that that happens is, again, if you open yourself to going, okay, if, if I have not realized my ability to be a comic that can go sell a thousand tickets or 5,000 tickets on the weekend to make enough money to be able to sustain myself, then I have to now consider, oh, okay, well, what, what else can I do so that I get to continue to be a part of this business, the comedy business? Well, maybe I can write sitcoms, or maybe I can direct sitcoms, or maybe I can write movies, or maybe I can punch up TV shows. So it really is about being open to the idea that there's more than one way to remain and grow and be successful in the comedy business as a whole. And so when you open yourself up and you start positioning yourself that way, then you go, okay, well, how can I add value to other comedians, people that my, my brothers and sisters, my fraternity brothers and sisters in this business, if it's Cedric the Entertainer and he's going out on the road, right, let me sit in the back of the room and watch what he's doing and say, okay, let me punch up his material and then come to him and say, listen, I, those jokes that you were just doing, I got punch up for all of the jokes. They're going to make them funnier. And have him consider, well, okay, let me, let me consider now taking you out on the road with me to help me on the road. I have a situation where Mike Epps was going out on the road, and I was, it was slow for me. 
And when Mike Epps first came to New York, I was a, a, a very popular comic. He was just getting there. He was a, a much newer comic. And I was putting together shows, put him on some shows, put some money in his pocket. Well, cut to about seven, eight, nine years later, 10 years later, it was slow for me. And he had did next Friday and he was popular and got, had a few things going. And I went out on the road with him. I went out on the road with him. I, I helped with as much as I could help. I sold t-shirts, I sold merchandise. That's just where I was at the time. I had to humble myself and, and accept, see what he was extending to me as an opportunity and take advantage of the opportunity. Because again, it kept me in the business. So going out on the road with him, I ran into Jeff Wills, who right now at this current time is the president of Live Nation's comedy division. I don't think he was the president at the time, but I had a relationship with him because he was one of the people that had promoted Deaf Comedy Jam dates when I was doing a lot better. And so him seeing me sling t-shirts helped him develop an appreciation for who I was as a husband and father that I was willing to even sell t-shirts for somebody for what they, most people say, oh, this is a, a act that is under you. It's like, nobody's under me. We're all in this together. If I can add value to somebody, that's what I do. So when you get out there and, and you get out of your own way, you start adding value to other people because you're willing to do other things, then it helps people, it helps you connect to other talent in ways that as you continue to grow and you start directing, then Cedric will remember that you punched up his jokes and now you're directing and now he'll consider you to direct the special or Mike Epps a little rail. So I think that, you know, I hope I answered the question, but that's the way that, again, you can kind of become a part of the fabric of the community of comics and not just a player in the business. You know what I mean? Exactly. It never gets old hearing these kinds of stories. It's, it's always humbling, you know, listening to them. And, you know, especially when I, you know, I know we, you and I have sat down before and it always does me joy when I do watch the Netflix special and I see your name across, come across the screen or I see the behind the scenes shots. And I'm like, Royale, you know, so. so it, it's, it's just, that, that's, you know, again, that's a part of that. I'd rather be lukewarm for 25 years than hot for one year. Right. And that lukewarm is finding your way to become a part of the fabric of the other business and not feeling like you got to be the biggest star in the risk of, listen, you, you may shoot all the way up, but if you fizzle, right, and you don't get the opportunity to become, to continue being a part of this thing, you know, that's, I don't think that's a good feeling. Yeah, that's, that's very true. It's very true. So my last question to you, you got an extensive resume and I know it doesn't stop. So I want to ask you, what's next on your agenda? What you got cooking up? What's next? What's next is I am having a bunch of conversations with a bunch of different uh, people about projects that I'm developing, some film stuff, some television stuff, some stuff in the social space for Kevin Hart to call me back right now about about three different projects. Um, I have a meeting next week with, with Cedric the Entertainer, pitching him some film stuff. D.L. Hewley, I'm hopeful to get back out with him. to he, He's going to do another special. I'd like to think that I'll be in the mix either as a producer, writer, or director, or all three, hopefully. 
there's some stuff that I could mention specifically, but I'm going to choose not to do that. Film, television, and social, that's the space that I'm literally got my foot in. I still have my mixtape comedy show, my, which is my, my baby and business card, every third Sunday at Gotham Comedy Club. Obviously, we've been suspended because of COVID-19, like all of comedy is just starting to slowly open back up. So I'm hopeful that I can get back to Gotham and keep that going. And I'm waiting, I'm in position right now because I'm supposed to be directing three comedy specials, or should I say three more? Because I actually have, between producing and directing, I think I have about 22 comedy specials under my belt so far. Ooh. <laughs> um, it's low-key. A lot of people don't, aren't aware, man, that I've produced and directed a lot of comedy specials. You've done, you've done some really good work, too. I'm, I, I want to tell you that as well. You've done some really good work. You've done Thank some you, really good work. Thank you. Yeah. I got Kevin Hart's openers, Naeem Spank and Joey Wells. I'm supposed to be shooting three specials for those three guys as soon as things open back up. And, you know, I'm hopeful that there's a, a few other people out there really like Michael Blackson. I love Faison Love. Corey Holcomb is somebody I love to work with. Lou Nell is somebody I would love to work with. Tony Rock, I'm a huge fan of. So I'm just trying to position myself to be that guy that comedians know. You know, Bill Burr is somebody that I'm hopeful to work with. But I want to be the comedian that other comedians go get Royale. I just need them to say, you know what? When I'm when it's time to do something, get Royale. I hear you. Really, really quick before I let you go, let the let the listeners know where they can find you and keep track of what you got going on. On all social media at Royale Watkins. On all social media at Royale Watkins. You guys heard him, and he dropped a lot of gems. There's a rewind button for a reason. So if you missed anything, go back and listen and check it out. Make sure to follow him as well. And again, check out the new show, All the Way Black on All the Way Black on Hey, man, I really appreciate you uh, giving me the opportunity to have a conversation. I'm always inspired and look forward to us connecting. And so congratulations on the podcast, man. I'm always wishing you success. And just Thank remember, you. wherever you get where you're going, you know, don't forget to tell them, get Royale. Oh, always, always. And thank you, Royale. You, you, you've always, you've always been full of knowledge and wisdom. I, I always credit you as well on this journey because you, you've definitely been, you definitely been helping me and also help give me opportunity as well. So, you know, thank you for all that you've done and all that you do. I really appreciate you taking time out of your schedule to come Anytime. on the Sane Show. Anytime, bro. Thank you. With that being said, you're listening to The Sane Show, the show about nothing and everything. And until next time, we're out.